good, everybody. Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrero with you on this Thursday, but we don't have Levin Black as we usually do. The human wet blanket is actually on vacation right now, which gives me a chance to stretch my legs a little bit. I am very pleased and privileged to bring you a special guest from the Haberman and Middlecoff Podcast, Mr. Haby, uh, Mr. Habes himself, Guy Haberman. What's up, Guy? Nailed it. Nailed it. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So, okay. I usually call Levin the human wet blanket because I am the emotional one on the show. I come with the hot takes, the fiery takes. He usually talks me down. Um, The last hot take I had from the show last week was that if Trey Lance hits his absolute ceiling, the best that he can be, him and Kyle just make beautiful music together, that he is a faster Steve Young. Is that too high? A faster Steve Young. I think it's pretty high. Uh, now, the good news is you cannot be a faster Steve Young and still be a really good quarterback. You can win championships. You could even be a great quarterback, right? We're talking about a top 10 quarterback of all time. I would say uh, I think Steve, based on what I've seen, I don't think he can be the runner Steve Young was. Really? I think Steve... I think it's going to be really hard because when I, <clears throat> I read Steve's early pandemic and Steve's book has been out for a while. A lot of people probably read it a long time ago, Yep. but I read Steve's book, you know, 2020 and then went back down the dive of watching a bunch of Steve tape, you know, and some of Steve's greatest highlights are him running the football. And I probably wouldn't have said that that wouldn't have been my first issue with that statement. If we'd had this conversation last year at this time before Trey Lance played, but Steve was such a natural runner and you could argue that this is an over analysis of Trey's time in the NFL. But I think one thing that really struck me with Trey Lance and I'm, I like Trey Lance. I'm pro Trey Lance, just for people who haven't heard my opinion on it. um, I was really struck by how uncomfortable he looked running the football last year in the NFL. I thought based on watching him in college, he would look a lot more comfortable running the ball. Now there can be various reasons for that, right? Um, Some of which are just, if you would say of the things you can't really prepare for getting tackled as a quarterback is at the top of the list, but he looked uncomfortable. He looked hesitant. Um, he would put his shoulder down in spots. There were times I thought he took a couple of hits because he didn't know what to do. Like he didn't know if he should slide. He didn't know if he should take on a defender the way he did in college. So uh, maybe that's just a natural, maybe that just takes care of itself with more reps. He becomes better at it, but I think, and we could argue about this if you disagree and maybe I'm wrong. I think Steve was a more dynamic athlete. Um, Steve was an elite dynamic athlete. Steve was elite as an athlete. Like before we even talk about Steve as a passer, which he was also great at. Now I know we'll, we can get the GPS numbers and the top end speeds on Trey. And he's also an elite athlete, like relative to most of these guys, but that would be my, that would be my going into Trey's second year assessment of his running ability. That it's, I think there was something very natural that Steve had that most guys don't have that I am a little more hesitant to say that Trey has after watching him. And part of that's part of what I liked about him. I'd add this too is like he clearly tries to make plays from the pocket with his arms, which I think that was, I thought, one of the really good signs watching him as a rookie is that his default position was not tuck the ball and run, which yes. I think is a, like, that's what you want. Like that's ideal. 
So um, I, I like what we saw from him, but I, Steve was just, he was a freak. Uh, I was a freak. used to work at ESPN and I remember talking to Chris Carter in a break and Chris Carter told me hundred percent serious. Steve young was faster than I was. That's Chris Carter hall of fame wide receiver. I think retired with like the second most catches all time and said that Steve young was faster than he was, which is, stupid fast that's absurd <laughs> um but i thought if you were going to take issue with my statement i thought you were going to jump on me for saying that trey will never be as accurate as steve was which i mean he was one of the most accurate passers yeah. of all time which is what levin jumped on me for that jerk yeah um and that would also be a good thing to jump on you about i leave myself open admittedly but but i think but i think trey he is so unknown as a passer at this point just in terms of we have not really gotten this part of this is there was actually like a physical evolution that they're trying to take him through. And maybe in the end, it won't be so much about tightening up his throwing motion as it will be just about the fundamentals of footwork. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be very difficult too. I mean, I know there were all the challenges initially with Steve just being a left-handed quarterback and right. Jerry learning how to play with him and all that. His ball looks very different than Trey's does. Trey's. Yeah. But, it, but let's. I, I'm going to give. I, I guess the reason I went with his legs first is because I'm just going to give that time to come together. I think the most natural thing is is the running element, and that's the thing that he didn't look all that natural at last year. And maybe there's maybe he could maybe he can overcome it. But that's where Steve was just an immediate impact. Trey looks like he really, and I don't know if maybe Kyle has drilled this into him. I wouldn't be stunned if he did. Trey looks like the last thing he wants to do is run with it. Like there were a lot of times last year where I was sitting there screaming, run go!" like the interception he throws against his first start in the Cardinals. He could have run for 10, 15 yards, but he yeah. didn't because he threw the ball 25 yards down the field. Uh, so you're right. Like he, he, his default is not run first, which I think ultimately will serve him well. Uh, but you're right. That was not Steve was run first and chuck it later. Kyle said, don't run and look, except for the 16 times that we designed run. <laughs> yeah, that was We could get rid of the power, the Trey Lance power up the middle play forever. I'd be in favor of that too. Just, yeah, <laughs> except just, on sneaks. Right. Big right. Legacy, like, big legacy that Jimmy's legacy on sneaks is um, a lot to carry. I, I mean, you look, you know, you do this, you do 49ers shows. I'm so looking forward to the day when I, when Jimmy Garoppolo is somebody else's problem and I don't have to talk about Jimmy or worry about Jimmy or think about Jimmy like 49er fans. I think have forgotten because it's been so long since they've had a truly trusted passer. Like when you get down to the 20, you shouldn't just hope to avoid the worst case scenario. That's that shouldn't be your default. Like every time Jimmy drops back, especially if it's deep, I'm thinking what is about to happen? Uh-oh, this is, this is going to be bad. When Trey drops back to pass, I'm like, what's about to happen? All right, let's go. Yeah, there's a big difference between when the, when the ball starts to disappear from the camera frame yes. on a downfield throw, right? When, when it, it was actually last year, this is John and I were having this conversation today about the Niners secondary because there were so many statistical ways to measure them as very good. But it was very much the same feeling that you had when Jimmy's ball left the screen. <laughs> when somebody threw a pass on the Niners that left the screen and you go, oh, God, how open is this guy going to be or whatever? Yep. So uh, it's a very familiar feeling. You know, I mean, the opposite white when, when Russell Wilson 
and when that ball disappears from, and again, we're talking about like a hall of fame, right. But, or Brady, when the ball disappears from the screen, even Matt Ryan, when the ball, di- let's use Matt Ryan then who fair hall of famer, uh, when the ball disappears from the screen, right. You feel good about it, but well, think of that Colts game and the Titans game. Those are the literal other quarterback drops back to pass and have figured out that we can just chuck it deep. And the Niners corners are incapable of stopping it. They're either going to interfere with the ball or it's just going to be caught. And there was two games where you could just see the other coach figured it out. What would be your favorite Jimmy Garoppolo? Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no throw. Cause I think his, I think the throw in the red, the Dallas interception last year. <sighs> when he starts to roll out, you're like, Oh, sh-. that, you know what? For me, it was the Packers this year in the playoffs, right? Yeah. He drops back to pass immediate pressure. Dodges his sack. You're like, okay, that's good, but I kind of almost wish he just went down because now he could still screw it up. And then he breaks another sack and he rolls out to his right. And I don't know if you've seen the all 22 view of this, but it's Kittle in the end zone at basically where the hash marks would be. And he has the entire third of the field. It's just open. There's nothing but grass there. And Jimmy rolls out and throws this wounded duck and I don't want to hear about his thumb and his shoulder or any of that other crap because he could have just chucked it out of bounds but he didn't he thought he could make the throw and not only is it not away from the defender not only does Kittle not catch it not only is it not complete to Kittle it's picked off and maybe the hopes of the 49ers season go down the drain with it because they weren't scoring at all that's the one that sticks in my head it's yeah which which leads us to that game I mean it's it's uh, one of the most improbable, incredible wins in sports I've seen. And I, John and I had that conversation. He thought that was hyperbole. I just, when you see what you know is going to happen, not happen, uh, that's one of the best things in sports. When there's just, you, you, you are, you know, the, there's 10 seconds left and you can't find the exit door. And you go, how is this going to, how are we getting <laughs> out of this thing, right? Batman, the old bat. How is he going to escape the shark tank this time? And then a door appears from nowhere. Um, That's what that game was. They beat Aaron Rodgers at home in the snow without scoring an offensive touchdown. Like that is a thing that happened and I'll never understand how, but then we'll say that Jimmy got to the NFC championship game. Well, see, but that's three years. You're exactly right. And that's the thing where any, no team who's ever won a championship has won it without luck. Agreed. And it's that's that doesn't take away anything from anybody. It's just anyone who's if your team has won a championship, you've watched the season and gone. You could name all of the lucky things that happened. So, you know, when you make that case about Jimmy, that he's gotten them to the conference championship game two of the last three years, it's true. And it's legitimate. And it's but it all it also almost didn't happen at several points along the way. And those are the things you're trying to eliminate by changing the quarterback. You're trying to reduce the number of ways that it almost doesn't happen for you um, because there's a lot of alternate universes where they don't end up in, in the Super Bowl and they don't, you know, less so in the Super Bowl. I, the, the alternate universes in the postseason that year, or I guess the alternate universes for that team were regular season almost. Yes. You know, last year had everything, had all of them postseason also. But you said something, you actually, you and John on the latest episode of Haberman and Middlecoff. And I was like, what? I couldn't believe because you both agreed. And I was stunned because if you had asked me this, there was I would have the complete opposite opinion. You both said 
that if Trey Lance fails, you don't necessarily think that's the end of Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. And I look at it as the complete opposite. Like this is Shanahan's Niners coaching career to me lives and dies with Trey. So I think to have this conversation, yeah, that was a conversation John and I had not had at all ahead of time. We didn't have any, I just had the thought about it the other day. Like, you know, I think it's, that's casually thrown out there or maybe not casually, but it's just kind of a thing that we talk about. And I hadn't really thought too hard about it until the other day. And I said it and he agreed. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it, a lot of that feeling for me comes from the way I perceive the organization to view Kyle, specifically Jed, Jed's tolerance and desire to do a coaching search, what it's taken to fire Niner coaches. Like think about (laughs) what it's taken the last few years, right? Harbaugh, that was a complete implosion in terms of his relationship with the organization. Yep. And it was Jim. I mean, Jim, you know, doesn't leave places generally on good terms. Not that we have a, a ton of history of it, but you know, some of the things you hear from, from the Niners are the same things you hear from Stanford. Um, but that was very much a different situation. I mean, obviously Jim Tom Sula was one and done. It was a complete and utter disaster <laughs> and chip. It was clear things had to change. So it really takes, I, that is not, Jed is not the owner that wants to do it. Um, he has paid a lot of money to do it, but I don't think he wants to do a coaching search. And uh, I think it's really hard. It's hard to identify who is who out there is capable of really doing this. And I think, I think if I were him, I would, in my belief about Kyle Shanahan would be Kyle Shanahan has shown me he is capable of doing this. And that belief would go beyond the decision to go all in on Trey Lance. Now, when you say that, like there's a bunch of ways to say it does or it doesn't ride on it. But I think the simplest way I would put it is if Trey Lance fails and they need another starting quarterback, I think Kyle Shanahan, I think, I think Trey Lance's ending and Kyle Shanahan's ending are not the same. So, that doesn't mean that there's not a ton of pressure on Kyle. That doesn't mean that it couldn't be the beginning of the end for Kyle if Trey Lance fails. But I think part of it depends on what it looks like. Like there's all these other factors. We could start parsing it out, right? Like if Trey Lance is a Baker Mayfield situation in Cleveland, I I don't think that gets Kyle Shanahan fired, right? Where it's like, I think it's good enough, but it's not a fifth year option, but we've won some games with them. Now, if it's a Sam Darnold situation, yeah. you know, that's a whole different animal. That, that one is a lot of egg on your face. And I think the question then becomes, well, what is their win loss record as this is happening? Because one thing Kyle has shown is he can win some games with quarterbacks that clearly are not starting NFL quarterbacks. Right. So is Trey Lance not good enough for the fifth year option, but they're also a wild card team a couple of times because they do other things. You know, there's all these other ways to parse it. The bottom line is I don't believe that I, I think Jed York is looking for reasons would be looking for reasons not to fire Kyle Shanahan, not reasons to fire Kyle Shanahan and things change by the way, the relationships, all that, but that's definitely how I feel right now. I think that how last season ended was huge for Kyle Shanahan because he went that one game, that Rams game week 18, right? 
They win that game. He's like, hey, we got double-digit wins in two out of the last three years. We've gone to the playoffs in two out of the last three years. Ultimately, they end up going to the NFC Championship game two out of the last three years. That does a lot for his resume. Flip it around, right? They lose that game. They miss the playoffs. You've missed the playoffs in four out of your five years as a coach, Kyle Shanahan. You've had 10 lost seasons in almost every single year as a head coach. Now, they wouldn't have had 10 losses last year, but what is it? Three out of the five years, you would have had 10 losses like that one game. If you if you want to fire Kyle Shanahan, if they lose that game, you can. There's enough there, I think, to justify firing Kyle Shanahan. They win that game and eventually go on the playoff run. Now you're like, you can't fire Kyle Shanahan. Are you crazy? Look what he's done. It, it's amazing to me just on that one contest, the different routes you could have gone. Being able to justify it and actually doing it are two very different things, though, right? And uh, given how much money and how much effort they put into this, not just Kyle, but this administration with John and Adam Peters and everything they've been through. I mean, remember how the Kyle Shanahan hire came along. It was, they tried to get Josh McDaniels and it wasn't really clear. Like, I just, I really believe they don't want to do that. They want to avoid that as much as possible because for every time you hit, you miss two or three times especially Jed York <laughs> and the hits are sometimes really lucky, right? Well, they kind of fell into Harbaugh. Yeah. He, he really only wanted to go to San Francisco. I mean, poor Steven Ross was, was doing everything he can to hire Jim Harbaugh. And yeah, Tony Sperano was his coach at the time, but Jim wanted to come to San Francisco. I mean, the Pete Carroll USC example gets used all the time, right? He was their seventh choice. I just think you, I, I think you've got to have a very clear vision of what it is you're missing. And I just don't see that Jed York would have that at this point. But what would his, like how many coaches would have been able to stay on for a sixth year when they missed the playoffs in four out of five years? If yeah, not many. That's what I mean. Like, so not many, but, but I think Kyle's, you know, you go through it and you can explain away almost every one of them. Yeah. But that right. At some point, like the honeymoon's got to end, right? Like he's got to be held responsible. Totally. But I, but I, but again, I think when you're in, when you, when you don't want it to happen, then you find the reasons why it shouldn't happen. Fair. That's fair. And look, I'm, I'm glad I've said many times, Kyle is the guy I want coaching this team. I love Kyle Shanahan. I just, I thought it was interesting at the time, uh, how much I thought at least anyway, was riding on that Rams game. One of the other things you said, first of all, I, I should have mentioned this at the top and I apologize. You had a comment on the show that I have never supported there's nothing I've heard on a podcast that I've supported more than this comment. And you said, when you cook a steak, it's salt, pepper, butter, and that's it. <laughs> and I'm a thousand percent on board with you there. Yeah. Uh, I'm not the cook in my family, but um, the cook in my family subscribes strongly to that. And uh, I don't know. I don't remember where I read this or heard that I was, my wife watches a lot of like, uh, you know, food network, like face off, whatever all those games are. And one of the things somebody said was, you know, the number one ingredient that makes food better in restaurants than it tastes in many of your homes. It's just a lot of butter. It's just more butter. <laughs> Amen. It's just more butter. And I was eating some, uh, I was eating a chicken yesterday. It was just, I was just like, yeah, this is a lot of butter in here. I, and I love butter. So um, now I love barbecue sauce on certain, I mean, on meats for sure, but a steak. Right. Less no, is no. more. If you order a steak and somebody brings you barbecue sauce, like that, that's not a good steak. I'll tell you that right no, away. No, no, no. I can't pronounce Worcestershire. But there you go. 
I don't use it. Was that right? Yes. Oh, okay. Anyway, I just, I don't, I'm a huge steak guy. So you mentioned that on the show and I meant to bring it up because I completely agree with you. Um, Okay. Let's get to some other Lance stuff or because I mean, like, for example, you guys ran down your top five training camp storylines. You had Debo first. I disagree, even though it's, it's important to me. It's, it's all Lance. Cause if Debo's not there, no one's going to give Lance a free pass this year or Kyle a free pass for going with Lance because Debo suddenly isn't there anymore. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we went back and forth on that one because that was a combined, this was a combined top five OTA storylines. So I made my list, he made his, and then we kind of combined them. Just Throw because, John under the bus. That's fine. Just because doing 10 of them would have been, <laughs> would have been a, a little, um, a little more difficult, but I, I think, you know, there's, there's a few ways we, you can slice it up. I think Debo was the biggest story of the NFL draft season, non-draft yes. and honestly, including the draft probably. And then the draft got good at least, but so Debo showing up or not showing up is, um, is a big deal. Part of that was, it's also a black and white situation. Either he's there or he's not, mm-hmm. you know, he's there not working out, whatever, but you know, in the long run, Trey Lance is a much bigger deal for the 49ers. You know, I mean, if, if all goes according to plan, Trey Lance will be a 49er longer than Debo Samuel. Oh, uh, yeah. just based on age and position. Right. So, uh, yeah, we could split hairs about that. We won't with Debo just cause just cause, but well, the Debo, like he's, he's got no leverage now. Like what, what's he going to do? That's the thing. Like once they didn't trade him, I felt like, okay, he could hold in. Cause he's not going to hold out. Cause he's, you get fined like a crazy yeah. amount. Now holdouts are over. They're not a thing anymore. He's going to hold in, right? He'll show up. Oh, my back hurts. My hamstring, whatever this, that, and the other thing. But then like, okay, let's say the 49ers continue to do nothing because that's generally what they do. He, is he going to eventually miss the games? Like what, even if he does, he's, he can't go anywhere. So he's either got to take the money or just not play football anymore. I understand why it got, why his press got so strong because I, he had to know or his agent had to know if it got past the draft, mm-hmm. there was nothing they could do. Their only hope was to scare the 49ers. But the problem was what you just described is the 49ers knew what would happen once the draft ended, which is a whole lot of nothing. Then it was made easier. I think, you know, maybe part of we're being fair, maybe part of Debo's angle was let's get somebody to make them an offer they can't refuse. And so then even even though they know they can wait and wait it out and kind of bleed us dry, they won't want to deal with it. They'll be afraid that it can't be fixed. And, um, you know, they'll just accept somebody's fantastic offer. So, I mean, Traylon Burke's not making it through the first Titans practice was uh, a scary uh, view into an alternate universe. But um, it's hot there, I guess. It's hot in Arkansas, too. But, you know, I think one of the things that I keep going back to is how much money have you made? affects how much leverage you have, how much money you've made affects whether you do stuff you don't want to do or not. Devonte Adams. And part of it is organizationally that, or the Packers were at a different point, but Devonte Adams had made $60 million when he told the Packers, he wasn't going to show up. Debo Samuel has grossed like $6 million in his Niners career. Mm. Pre-tax, pre-expenses, pre whoever, whatever, right? So this idea that like he can afford to, and again, I I don't even think it's a realistic suggestion that he would not show up for a week of the season or three weeks of the season. It's just Le'Veon Bell 
did that work for everybody? It's not a good plan. But, you know, at the end of the day, even if they didn't love the first offer, they are the only ones that can put an offer in front of a guy who's played three years in the league and made $6 million. And you and I would love to make $6 million. But, you know, the reality is that for three years of NFL work, that's not a ton of money for a premier NFL receiver. So um, I don't, I, I just don't see how he can, you know, the question is when, when they, when, when the deal eventually gets done, will the Niners be able to um, avoid people saying that they want it? Cause they don't want that. Yeah. I don't think they're looking for like the win here. Mayoko Absolutely has said not. many times, like, even if they just like, they don't want Debo to play for his current salary this year. They know he's underpaid. Um, but I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be spun that way. Cause when you make the full court press to get out of town and then you don't get traded, like you've already kind of lost. And then you, it's weird to think that like you could sign, you know, a, a deal for $19 million a year. And people think you lost, like you're coming back with your tail between your leg, like he's going to get 19 million a year. That's pretty damn. I'll take that loss. I'll tell you I that. Know. I know. And, and I think it kind of works against the 49ers historically that people view them that way. Like they win deals. I think agents are wary of it. I think players are wary of it. They don't want to be known that way, even if it's true, even if that's ultimately what they want to do. Um, ideally, you pay him like a premier receiver, and he lives out that contract playing like a premier receiver. Like, that's the ideal. He's happy. You're happy. You got – here's the other ideal, right, that he doesn't have to play the way he played last year because I don't think anybody believes, himself included, that that is sustainable. Kyle Shanahan's running backs have a history and they didn't uh, want to do that with him. No. The only reason he was in the backfield last year is because they had cluster injuries at running back and there was nobody left and they needed a big play. And then it turns out he is the best big play <laughs> running back in the league. <laughs> like it's yeah. crazy. He was such a get out of jail free card for that offense. I keep telling people they don't realize how many times it was like third and five or third and seven sometimes. And they'd hand the ball to Debo and he would get the first down. It was absurd. This is where Trey Lance comes back into play, though. Like part of, you know, the major, one of the major problems with Jimmy Garoppolo is there is a portion of the field that's just not available to you. Two portions, really, right? Outside the numbers and down the field. Yep. It's just they're not available to you. And it's in the 49ers' best interest to get Debo Samuel production down the field where the hits are lessened, where the number of players around him are lessened, and he's not running through big body, sh small area traffic. And, you know, I, I think that's where Trey Lance becomes such a key for them. It's, and this is why, you know, an investment in Debo, an investment in the offensive line, these are all invest. Everything you do right now is an investment in Trey Lance. It's all about investing in Trey Lance. Part of the money you spend on Debo is this is money we're spending on our quarterback. Uh, and hopefully he doesn't have to be a safety valve in the way he was for them last year, uh, all of the time, but you know, maybe you can take some of the pressure off Trey Lance, just with the threat of, of having, you know, a little bit of that, of that Debo Samuel on the field, because he's such a focal point, but I mean, they need Trey, they need Trey Lance to be like, if you said Jimmy Garoppolo somehow is their quarterback again, well, there's no reason for Debo Samuel to think that anything is all that different this year. Right. And that would be part of the sell to Debo is Debo. Look, we're going to, 
you're going to play us. What you do is so unique. It's it's what got you paid, but you're, we're going to be able to do things now with Trey that you haven't really done that much in your career down the field. You want the big plays for the offense to come where your quarterback is dropping the ball in the bucket, making an amazing throw, as opposed to your quarterback making a five-yard throw and your receiver, Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, whoever, having to break three tackles and run 40 yards. All the 49ers' big plays came from somebody else's effort. It wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo's effort. It was Debo. It was Kittle. It was those guys. That's the switch I want to see this year. Yeah, I think you want your biggest plays to come from the players making the play and not the coach scheming it up <laughs> because that's so much harder. You know, like I love a good and Jim Harbaugh loved and Kyle Shanahan loves a, you know, a 17 play or a 14 play drive. But I equate that a lot to, you know, like running the Princeton offense with less talent. It just takes so much. You need six passes and four back cuts and no penalties. seven screens. And yeah, that's right. And no, no moving screens, no penalty. The pe penalties murder this team. <laughs> because it's like, oh my God, if, once you're behind the sticks, now the rhythm's off. You can't overcome adversity. So, you know, all those are well and good, but that is not the way. A, if you, if you need to come back in a game to get back in a game, and B, uh, you know, the people who criticize, and I'm from a basketball standpoint, like the Warriors sometimes, when you pass the ball five times, there is, you know, you, you mathematically with every pass increase the opportunity for a turnover. And when you need 15 plays to get the ball down the field, there's all these other bad things that can happen. And not, they're not just turnovers, it's penalties and whatever. And, um, you know, that's why I think Andy Reid, the Chiefs are so interesting because they are the combination of a coach who can scheme it up and a, and a quarterback who can make plays outside of the system. And I think it's why it was refreshing to see Kyle Shanahan draft Trey Lance. Like, here's a guy who can do who can take over when I'm not in because ultimately the coach can't run on the field and put the ball where the quarterback is supposed to put it. So you got to play. It's the, the old saying of the Jimmies and the Joes really rings true so often. And, you know, that's why Debo, I think was so dominant because he was a combination of a coach who knew how to use them and a player who can make the most of a coach who knew how to use them. I'll get you open. And then that frees you up to do the best thing you do, which is carry the ball. Yeah. I'll get you open for six yards and then you can make it 17 yards. And you know, it's the perfect combination. That's the other reason Debo needs to resign with the Niners. It's the perfect combination of coach and player. He averaged 10 yards after the catch last year, he averaged 10 yards and, and his average depth of target was eight yards down the field. So it's not like he's catching screens in the backfield yes. all the time. That's absurd. Like, I don't even think people realize that I keep saying this stat, but I'm going to, I'll say it forever. He had 1,400 receiving yards with less than 80 catches. That has only been done 10 other times in the history of football. That's absurd. And that's with not being used as a receiver for half the year. So, so 10 other times, less than 80 catches and more than and 1,400 or more yards. Yes. Wow. That's how freaking good he could be in this offense. Like, that's... People How many are, tight end? Are there a lot of tight ends on that list? Uh, I okay. To be honest, I don't know everybody on the list. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I, because I was fascinated by that. Like, people realize how good he was, and so I just happened to look it up. Uh, and that was, yeah, he was the eleventh guy to ever do wow. it. So, Debo, sign, please. That and none of those guys probably led the league in rushing touchdowns of over right. twenty-five yards. Like that run against the Cowboys in the playoffs. That touchdown—that's absurd. He runs out, sweeps out to the right, and then he just stops, and three-quarters of the defense runs past him, and all of a sudden, boom, he's in the end zone. 
Like that doesn't happen for other teams. And he ran that, that touchdown got scored probably six times, maybe more last year. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he had the, the most like 20 yard or more touchdowns. Like yeah, I think it was anytime I mean, they had more than he had receiving. Yeah. Anytime they approached the red zone. Cause like Kyle didn't know what the hell Jimmy was going to do with it. So his first option, first down Debo, maybe Debo could score here and we don't have to put it in Jimmy's hands. Right. Yeah. That's what yeah. it, it worked. It was absurd. Um, let's move a little bit beyond Trey Lance and Debo. Um, first and foremost, we've seen the history of this regime, two things in the draft. One is we'll start with the good. Somebody picked in the fifth round or later is going to be a solid contributor, right? It has literally happened every single year yes. of the Shanahan regime. So if I put you on the spot here and ask you of the guys, they picked fifth round or later this year, Samuel Womack, Nick Zakel, Kalia Davis, Tariq Castro Fields, Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, who's getting more love than I've ever seen a Mr. Irrelevant get in the history of my life. Or I'll even throw in the undrafted free agents. Who do you think is most likely to be just a solid, at least a solid contributor? Well, I feel obligated probably to go D-liner or secondary. And I've got two, if you go secondary, you got two shots at it, right? Because they've actually hit, you'd say hit, um, in the secondary several times, right? I, I'd say for a fifth rounder, we can already, I think we could agree that Talano, Talano, is already a hit for our fifth rounder. Yeah. He has a role on this team for sure. He just, he's proven DJ Reed, Marcel Harris, yep. uh, back in 18. Um, it's a good point. Or, or, you know, or you could go D line just because I think they have as good a D line development system as anybody in the league. So maybe you go with Davis in that stretch. I would not go with Brock Purdy, <laughs> although I think the Mr. You know, there's a parade, a whole charity event, Coronado Island, San Diego. I think it's like a thousand bucks. Maybe it's 300 bucks a plate or something like that. Seriously? Um, yeah. Mr. Irrelevant. I think Terry Donahue, who was the former UCLA coach, was very involved in this, but he passed away. But Mr. Irrelevant's a major um, fundraising. The, the charity has not. I'm not positive what the charity is it has nothing to do with mr irrelevant they just they just realized if they honored mr irrelevant i think it would be a cool way so there's a parade that goes through like san diego <laughs> coronado island they have a big banquet dinner um john ireland the voice of the lakers i think mcs the event and um it's not cheap to get in like it's a legitimate charity event they've got a list i looked at the list the other day of uh, all the mr relevance who've been honored and this thing's been going on for a long time but Damn. Um, anyway, I, I think I'd probably go with people seem to like uh, Tariq Castro fields. Yes, they do. In fact, people seem to like him more than Womack for some reason. I know, which is, you know, that's remember there was a minute last year when some people like Diamond or Lenore more than Ambry Thomas, but I'll go with Castro fields. Cause I just, cause I think they do a good job in the secondary. That's fair. Would you pick somebody else? Um, I'm kind of fascinated with, Donovan West, the center, the undrafted center that yeah. they got. And the reason is because he's from Arizona State uh, yeah, and they have this Herm Edwards like connection. Yeah. They really trust Herm and God, I think they're going to need a center. I, I think Alex Mack is gone. John Lynch all but said he was gone basically in his press conference before the draft. I'm th- not, not to be like Alex Mack because people forget how good Alex Mack was, but just to be like a solid starter. I'm almost wondering if it's him and maybe I'm, I'm talking myself into something crazy. I don't think you're crazy. I mean, 
uh, Donovan West, I think, started as a true freshman at Arizona State. Um, I believe, not to fact check that, but I'm pretty sure he started as a true freshman and um, was a really solid player in the Pac-12. So I, I don't, you know, I think there's a belief, and maybe you've heard this too from some people, that this draft, that the undrafted free agents this year are a particularly good group just because of the COVID year. And it didn't create, mm. you know, you can't change the amount of talent that you have at the top of the draft, but it did create depth through a draft of, you know, experienced players that you don't have in, in usual years. And so there's a theory out there, right. That more undrafted free agents will make teams this year than generally do whether or not that happens. I don't know, but I, I do think they, they probably definitely, they have a, a proclivity for the ASU guys or, or, you know what they actually have. They have a, it's not that they necessarily like them. It's just, they know better what you're getting. Um, you know, than maybe other teams do because I, I mean, Herm's thing was, you better trade up to get Brandon Ayuk. That's what he told him. Kyle was fist pumping after they made the pick. I'll never forget the reaction of Shanahan, like freaking out because they got Brandon Ayuk and then, you know, refusing to throw him the ball for half the season last year. That's <laughs> cool. That was a him problem. That, well, who was it? Uh, Danny Gray said it at OTAs. No block, no rock. No block, no rock. Which, which I, you know, who used to say no block, who says no block, no rock, who lives by that mantra is former 49er head coach Chip Kelly. Really? He's a big no block, no rock guy. Yeah. Wow. See, the chip era lives on. That's Who would have right. thought? <laughs> the uh, the other side of that little draft nugget, unfortunately, is that the Niners have whiffed on a pick in the top three rounds every single year as well. Even in 2020, when they had two first round picks and nothing until the fifth round, I still kind of throw Javon Kinlaw more in the in the whiff category because we really don't know what he was. He was okay as a rookie obviously hurt last year. If you had to pick somebody in the top three rounds this year, Drake Jackson, Ty Davis price, or Danny gray, who would you think is most likely to be a whiff? It's hard because I, 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 now I understand the value problem with Ty Davis price, but when I watched him, the first thing I thought was, Oh my God, this looks like Elijah Mitchell's college tape from last year. When it was, I just had, I'm not saying he's Elijah Mitchell, or that they're the same guy necessarily, but I just remember the immediate feeling watching Elijah Mitchell's college tape that it was so clear that he fits with Kyle Shanahan. And I thought the same thing watching Ty Davis price. Um, you know, I think Drake Jackson's interesting. John and I were talking about him in the context of, you know, he's a double, a, a double-edged sword. If he had gone to a school that was not in flux and was not as unsure to do, what to do with him as SC, his stock could have been higher, but it also could have been lower, right? If he had gone to a place that if he had gone to uh, a place that had the same head coach for, well, I guess USC had the same head coach his whole time there, but uh, that wasn't changing offenses and defenses and moving his weight around and moving him positionally and had a good track record of producing defensive players and, um, and then didn't produce, there would be really no excuse for it. But SC had kind of a built an excuse for it. You know, I'd probably say Danny Gray if I had to pick one because Drake Jackson, I think, has the physical tools and obviously set up really well given his position coach, right? Ty Davis Price, I think there's just a baseline of production that Kyle Shanahan's going to get out of running backs. So in some ways, it's by default. But the other thing is, it's, it's not easy to get on the field right now given the way Juwan Jennings really came on at the end of last mm -hmm. year. Uh, and then if you've got Debo, uh, and Brandon Ayuk, you know, I don't, 
I don't know. I think Kyle would love to use Danny Gray, I'm sure, but Kyle doesn't necessarily need the fastest guy in the field to be a gadget guy. He can do stuff with everybody else that he already has. So I would say Danny Gray, just by default, the position he plays, um, you know, what that position looks like on this team already. And uh, I guess you'd say, he come, you know, I don't know that it matters that he comes from SMU and the other two guys are bigger school guys, but I'll say Danny Gray. The history of the NFL is littered with fast wide receivers that have problems catching the football too. I mean, let's just leave that as it may be. Uh, All right. Looking at the Vegas perspective of things, the over under for the Niners is 10. They are minus 225 to make the playoffs and they have the fourth best odds in the conference uh, to win the conference. I should say fourth best in the NFC. It's uh, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, the Rams, and then the Niners. The Niners are plus 750. Taking all that into the stew, what do you think Vegas is trying to tell you about how good they think the Niners are going to be this year? Uh, all right, so let's run it back one more time. Minus 220. Minus 225 to make the playoffs. To make the playoffs. Over-under is 10. And fourth best odds to win the NFC. Yeah. So a wild card team again? How could you would think, right? I mean, how bad would they have to be to not be one of the top seven teams in the conference? When but, it, we've... but you don't but you don't have to win over 10 games to do it. Right. Agreed. So I, I, I you know, you always have to bake in a little bit. I think the 49ers from a you probably know this. You could go check Florio's uh the old uh, like click rates or whatever on Niners stories. But and and just all the work you've done, I think we've learned it in our work. I, I would say top five without really doing the math in my head, fan base, national brand, national brand. Yeah. Part of that you have to bake in, right. Is you almost have to make the, you almost, you, you, you have to protect yourself against a lot of people betting for success, betting the over betting to win the division, betting to be in the conference championship game or be in the super bowl. Um, I think part of it is a lack of what the hell are we supposed to know about some of these other teams, the NFC green Bay, good Tampa, good Rams, good. You know, I mean, obviously Dallas is probably very often a public team, but they're worse Dallas. offensively this year. They're, they're worse, worse in every this way this year, this year, Arizona. I mean, you can't p- trick people with that anymore. Who, who didn't make the playoffs last year, New Orleans, Minnesota, Washington, Seattle, Atlanta, Chicago, Carolina, the giants and the lions God. that you would pick to make the playoffs this year, Minnesota, maybe. That's scary because that happens every year, right? The NFL loves to trot out that stat about five teams that missed the playoffs the year. Like, is it five or is it three? Oh, God, I don't know. I think it's three. I think it's a legitimate. Yeah. But you're right. In the NFC, yeah, maybe Minnesota, maybe. But like, I don't, I don't, I would pick all those teams that missed the playoffs to miss them again. So I think, I think Vegas, right? I I think part of that is, that's my way of saying, I think part of, any optimism from a betting standpoint on the Niners is a result of what the rest of the conference looks like. And we've seen an exodus of talent from the NFC. Unfortunately, most of it went to the AFC West who the Niners have to play this year. I know, but uh, what, you know what? The other thing is in the division, the Niners won two division games last year and they were both Rams games and that's it. Kyle Shanahan in his tenure is five and 15 against the Seahawks and the Cardinals. 
That wow. is crazy to me. That crazy. has to change this year if they're going to make the playoffs. I think uh, John had the stat a while, but I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, or maybe I looked it up. One of us, we talked about it last year. It was Russell Wilson's like, what's his record, career record against the 49ers? It was 17 and like, four, including playoffs. 17 and four, including the playoffs. Okay. It's just outrageous. So you get a little bump there. Um, you know, you don't play Arizona early, so you don't miss Hopkins, but you do play them both games. You could argue are late or late ish, right? November 11th is definitely late ish and Arizona week 18 game is late. That's not a bad time to play the Cardinals. Yeah. They'll be in their full season nosedive by that point. <laughs> they'll, be, <laughs> they'll be trending on November 20th and they will be fully <laughs> six feet under on, on January 8th. But are you going to beat the Rams twice again? Is this just going to continue? So that's that to me is the most fascinating question to me as weird as it as crazy as that stat you gave against about Seattle and Arizona is the success against the Rams. I think that's even wilder. Yeah. Well, that's what Jared Goff will do for you. The literal only quarterback who could yeah, be but the, Jared Goff is gone and they kept beating the Rams. That's true. I mean, Sean McVay was celebrating in the end zone when it was 17, nothing <laughs> like do people like he was in the end zone, jumping up and down with his team when it was 17, nothing. And still lost. a celebration unseen by even the <laughs> likes of Lane Kiffin, right? Like the only other guy you would pick to do that is Lane. Like Kyle's got to be on the other sideline. Like, dude, what do you, what do you do? Like, you know, he gave Sean after that. That was, uh, I got to admit when he did it, I thought there was no way they were going to come back and make him look bad for doing it. I, I don't know. Like Stafford. He'll be, I think Stafford will be better this year, year two in McVay's system than he was last year. Like he did a lot of, it looked like there were times where Stafford would drop back last year and just decide, screw it. I'm throwing it deep. The, the Ambry Thomas interception at the end of that, it like looked like the, he was just first. Like, how about the first game with Odell against the Niners? Oh, that's right. Yeah. He threw the pick early to deep to Odell. And then he threw the, the interception, which was not really his fault on the screen pass that Ward took for a pick six, but. Yeah, like he threw a lot of inter. I mean, we all know Jakowski Tart. Hold on to that goddamn ball, and maybe that's a different. Maybe they lose that another game to the 49ers. Why'd you take me down this road? Sorry, I blame. I think Stafford's good. You know. Oh, I, I think he's good too. Like I was pissed when the Niners didn't get him. Oh, hell, Kyle was pissed when the Niners didn't get him. But like I was really hoping that they would find a way to do that because I agree. I think Stafford is is great. It's tough as hell too. Yep. You think Trey Lance is tough? We have no idea. I think, look, he didn't get hit a ton, I don't think, in the pocket, but running the football in college. But he ran the football tough in college. Um, you know, we could make some guesses. about. I guess I could, if I wanted to talk out of my ass, say, well, Minnesota football's probably, you got to be tough to play that. And you have to be mentally tough when everyone tells you you're not a quarterback and uh, you believe that you're a quarterback to go prove that you're a quarterback. So that takes mental toughness. But I think when you get hit a lot, you just open yourself up to things that test your toughness. And if your toughness gets tested over and over again, eventually you, you wear down. Um, so while it takes a ton of toughness to play quarterback in the NFL, I, not having to test that toughness and protecting the guy is really the key to the whole thing. Well, you know? I, we really don't know anything about like, that's what I keep telling people too. It's like, it's going to be so much fun finding out all of this stuff about yeah. Like, we don't know anything. He, like people looked at Malik Willis this year and they were like, oh, he's such a project, right? Like you, you he's a, he's talented, but he's got to sit, you know, he's, he's a real project. 
he threw 300 more passes in college than Trey Lance. Even if you add up all the passes that Trey threw in high school and all the passes he threw in the NFL last year, he's still, I think it's 118 passes behind the ultimate draft project, Malik Willis. And he's 22 years old. He just turned 22 like two weeks ago. People do not understand how inexperienced Trey Lance really is. Project has a really negative connotation too, right? Project means True. to some people you have to sit for three years, <laughs> which never happens, which never happens um, unless you have a hall of famer playing in front of you, which is what's happened twice in green Bay. Oh, well, that's not why Jordan Love isn't on the field, but um, I mean, it is, but it's not, <laughs> but it was the reason Aaron wasn't, but you know, it has a very negative connotation to it. And um, understandably, like you're supposed to get ready-made or close to ready-made when you draft top three, like you want Andrew Luck, you want Peyton Manning, you know, you want to hit the ground running. I, I think one of the NFL storylines that'll be interesting this year is Trevor Lawrence, who was viewed as absolutely anything but a project. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people who didn't watch the Jags last year, which was a lot of people, <laughs> um, you know, I thought at times watching him, well, one reason I, I still am pretty and bullish on him is he is a freakish athlete. Like he is so freakish, but you know, Doug Peterson can really, if he wins a Super Bowl with Nick Foles and then succeeds, whatever that means with Trevor Lawrence, I, I don't, I think a lot of people still believe in Trevor Lawrence. It's not, it's never almost never in the NFL at quarterback is anything a foregone conclusion. Right. With a prospect. Agree. We thought going in luck was, and he turned out to be kind of, and we thought going in Peyton was, and he turned out to be, but for the most part, I think you could argue that Trevor Lawrence, even if you watched him his junior year, that, that maybe the most impressive he looked was his freshman year. And he just rode that and freakish, like freakish athleticism, I think is why he stayed top, 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 a number one overall pick and people, anyway, I'm getting off topic, but um, you know, I think part of, Part of the project with Trey is you got to get on the field, given his style of play, and you just got to figure it out. And it might mean doing stuff this year that you don't want to do with him in two years, right? In terms of how you manage the offense. Of course, he, there was a story where somebody said maybe it was Sim said it on his podcast. I'm trying to remember. There was the day that Sims, Breer, and uh, Richard Sherman all had like yes. Trey Lance sound, and it was either Sims or Breer. I think it was Breer actually that said to Eisen, you know, he doesn't know the offense as well as Jimmy Garoppolo does. Yeah. Of course he doesn't. And, and he wasn't saying, he was just saying like, that is one of the challenges, but like this idea, yeah, you give stuff up and you get some other stuff back right. when you make that trade. Right. He said he can't run the whole Shanahan that, offense. Okay. It was Breer. Is that what I'm Yes, it was that? Breer to Eisen. And my response was, you think they're running the whole offense with Jimmy? They can't throw to two thirds of the you know, field. I think I saw that reaction by you, and I I agreed with it. I was yeah, I get I get cranky sometimes, <laughs> but it's true, <laughs> right? You think Kyle's running his whole thing? No, there were things he would like to do otherwise, and, of and like Trey's going to miss reads. That's going to happen. He's going to miss open guys. But you know what? We saw it in the Texans game. They were backed up in their own end zone. It was all slants, and they called it. And Trey dropped back and. Every one of the slants is open and Trey doesn't throw it. But you know what he does do? Extends the play, rolls out to his left, was, and fires a rocket to Ayuk for a first down. Yeah. 
that's the difference. Like it's yeah. not going to be perfect, but it still might be okay. <laughs> well, but also him, I went to practice last year, right? Like him making some sweet throws after the play would have been dead for three seconds. What is that really doing for him? Right. What do you do with that? It looks cool. And I'm all for talking about it and clipping off the video, but it's time. It's time to try and take that next step with him. And he's going to get that. I mean, it's going to happen. We hope. Jimmy's still here. Can I, let me just run my Jimmy theory by you really quick. You've been very generous with your time and I really appreciate it. This is what I think happened in a nutshell. And I said it the second the report that Jimmy was going to need surgery came out. Because remember, it wasn't a Jimmy Garoppolo had surgery. It was a, hey, attention, everybody out there. Don't trade for me because right. I'm going to have surgery. I think that they were going to move him somewhere he didn't want to go. If I had to guess, I would say Washington. And I don't blame Jimmy Garoppolo at all for not wanting to go to that dumpster fire. So I think Jimmy threw that out there because it was either go to Washington or what he threw it out there that tanked his trade value. And I think him and Don Yee were thinking, this is what we're going to do. There's no way the 49ers are not going to cut you. There's no way they're going to just pocket 18 and a half million dollars and go into free agency with one hand tied behind their back. So you'll get cut and then you'll get to pick your team and maybe your next contract won't be worth quite as much, but it'll be pretty close and you'll get the freedom to choose where you want to go. And the 49ers said, Oh yeah, yes, we will. We're not doing nothing with you, Jimmy. And they didn't swerve in the game of chicken. And so they just held on to Jimmy. And that's why we are where we are right now. And as long as Jimmy's on this roster, they are inviting people to second guess the organization's faith in Trey Lance. And that seems to be what's happening over and over again. Yeah. And it, it also, you know, the time, the timing of whatever happens with Debo to do they sign Debo right after Jimmy's gone? Does Jimmy just stay and Debo mm -hmm. doesn't get extended? Right. So let's talk about your theory though, a couple different ways. One, I think it's a pretty good theory, right? I think a lot of parts of that theory check out and make a lot of sense. And I would support Jimmy's desire to not go to Washington. <laughs> his desire to make his full amount though, is, you know, an interesting dynamic. And for a team to acquire him, Washington would be in the small probably category of teams that was willing to just acquire him and give him that money without any, we need to restructure, but we'll extend none of that mess. Right. So I think that checks out. Um, uh, now part of that would be, you know, asking the question, did Washington prefer Jimmy to Carson Wentz? And you could wonder if they did prefer Carson, if Ron Rivera, a defensive coach fears, an athletic kind of playmaking quarterback more than he would fear Jimmy Garoppolo. I think defensive coaches and their preferences for quarterbacks are, are very interesting to me. Defensive coaches in my experience tend to, and this is, I, this is something over the years of covering college football, you pick up on a lot because the quarterbacks are so much less established and you've got like real quarterback battles going on. Right. And I think defensive coaches tend to, to lean to mobile quarterbacks, even if those quarterbacks are not as good of passers because, uh, you know, unpredictability, um, especially if like a college coach where so much of their defense is just predicated on the guys just doing what I tell them to do, like being <laughs> in the right gap. And every college defensive coordinator, especially talks about trust your eyes, trust your eyes, meaning just fit your gap and don't worry about anything else. Just do what you're supposed to do. And um, I do, I, I could see a world where Ron Rivera th thinks that there is a higher ceiling with Carson Wentz and that that gives him a better chance than 
with Jimmy. Cause it's not like, you know, Jimmy plays this football that we talk about as being very safe. If you had a great defensive team, you would just let's play defense and get the safe quarterback, but he doesn't, it doesn't actually work that way. Right. So you're, you're not when you when you take the quarterback in Garoppolo that doesn't have the high upside in terms of explosive plays, you're not getting it's not Alex Smith, right? Who Alex was not explosive, but he was safe. Yes. And he did protect the football. And Jimmy plays like Carson, but without the physical <laughs> traits. Right. So although way less left handed passes than Carson. So if I were going to play devil's advocate, I'd say, you know what? There is a world, I think, where Washington prefers Carson Wentz to Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think to your point, the other thing that happened that Jimmy and Don Yee could not have anticipated happening was the domino effect of Deshaun Watson kind of quote unquote becoming available again, right? Like in the world where they were playing that game, the Browns were an option. Right. Um, I don't, Houston was not an option, but there was this like trickle down once Deshaun goes to Cleveland. I think, oh, the Colts, right? The Colts were going to be an option for Jimmy. And the trickle down, of course, is Atlanta plays with the idea of Deshaun, and then it just opens up their minds to the possibility of moving on from Matt Ryan. And the second Matt Ryan goes, and the second Deshaun Watson goes to two Jimmy destinations, because I think Cleveland made a lot of sense because Jimmy is very much not Baker, at least from a perception in the locker yes. room standpoint. And, you know, just like coaching hires, teams tend to, you hire a hard ass, then you hire a happy guy. You know, like those, you tend to go to the other direction. And I think both, I think in, I think the Colts were definitely a destination for Jimmy. Um, so, you know, that really screwed up their plans too. Deshaun becoming tradable and Atlanta going down that road. And it, I, it changed the whole thing. And now it's going to be trade Jimmy if we can. If we can't see, this is my, this is my final question. I promise. Ordinarily you would say, okay, we're going to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, but the Niners seem to be just stubborn and refusing to do it, but they're not going to pay him $26 million to back up Trey Lance. So what they're going to do, I would think is, are they going to go to him right before the season starts? Like right before when all the rosters are basically set and there's nowhere for Jimmy to go and say, we're, we want you to take, a pay cut. Well, we want you to take a $16 million pay cut or a $10 million pay cut. Otherwise we're going to cut you and there's nowhere for you to go. Like, how do you think the story ends? So I don't know how the story ends, but I know this in that scenario you just gave me, I would take the pay cut if I were Jimmy and stay. Right. That's the gamble though. Right. Because his very presence on the roster undermines Trey Lance. Cause any struggle Trey Lance I'm has. Just saying, I know what Jimmy would do in that situation. I'm not sure that the Niners would do that, but if I were advising Jimmy Garoppolo, I would say the guy got hurt last year in his first, after one game, he hurt his knee. <laughs> True. Like the, the chance that you end up on the field this year is high. If you stay not to mention, you know, you just, I know it's like Kyle's going to quit you cold Turkey, but if you're just still in the cabinet, he might have a weak moment. Yep. So I would take that, that deal. I would take if I were Jimmy. Oh, Let me man. just say that first. Now, do the, are the Niners really going to go there? I think, again, back to your original point on Kyle Shanahan and the spectrum of his success, which is either extremely good or extremely not good. There's now been no in between. His number one obligation is to try and win as many games and go to the playoffs. And by the time you get to the season, I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying I would understand them going – why would we? And here's the other thing. 
let's just take John Lynch. Kyle says a lot of things that are misdirection, <laughs> but let's take John Lynch at his word, which is we're not going to trade a guy who we think is good for nothing. We have this guy who we think is a good back, who we think is a good quarterback. Like they value him and they think other people should value him. So why would we be surprised if a team that values a player keeps that player? Because it hurts the development of Trey Lance. Because every second that Jimmy's on the roster, the, when Lance struggles, it's going to be Jimmy would have won that game. Why? Why are we? Yeah. Why are we not playing this guy? This guy's gotten us to the NFC Championship. That's all the players give a crap about anyway. Kyle has to see that there is the value. You know, they talk about like the value of the player. You're not giving him up for nothing, but you are getting something. You are getting away from that the freedom from potentially a split locker room because remember reporters are back in the locker room this year too guys are going to get asked every single time their struggles should we go to jimmy do you still have faith in trey what are guys talking about jimmy like it's going to be a thing you're not going to get away with what you had last year so that's what you would be getting by letting jimmy garoppolo go you're not just getting you know nothing i think there's value there i don't know if the 49ers recognize that this is, I'm not going to say, but Joe and Steve got through it. I'm not going to say that because that's, that was Joe and Steve. And this is not Joe and Steve. Right. Um, and what you're saying, is, what you're saying is you make it harder for Trey Lance. You make it more likely that Jimmy plays because Trey fails. If Jimmy is there because Jimmy being there makes it harder for Trey to succeed. Yes. And, um, you know, I think coaches love safety nets. I don't, but now let me say this too. If you're asking for a prediction, I don't, I'd be surprised if he's on the ro- well. Surprise isn't the word. I don't think he'll be on the roster week one. God help us all. Let's hope. But surprise. But I don't think surprise would be the word. Yeah, at this point, I mean, you can't be surprised because he's still here now, and I never, ever, That's ever right. thought we would get to that point. But I will say this one last one last point on that. It's like there's a reason they traded up for Trey Lance. It's because they already decided they decided two years ago Jimmy Garoppolo is not that guy, or I guess not two years ago last year. So there's a reason they did that also, right? After all of their experience with Jimmy, I think when we don't, I have found that when we are out of season with the 49ers, the perception of what Kyle Shanahan thinks of Jimmy is different than when we are in a season. When we're in a season, there's all this evidence that he doesn't trust them completely. There are things he wants to do that Jimmy can't do. He's yelling at, I mean, like there's all this stuff that happens. And then out of the season, we talk about Jimmy like he's Kyle's, perfect quarterback he's not he's not and Shanahan's actions have shown us that whether it was not moving the ball down the field at the end of the Super Bowl and whether it was trading three ones for Trey Lance like I think he's shown us enough that this Jimmy Garoppolo is not by any stretch Kyle Shanahan's ideal quarterback well I hope we got Kyle Shanahan's ideal quarterback because I am tired of staying on the Jimmy Garoppolo carousel I want to get the hell off Guy, thank you very much for the time again Guy Haberman you can hear him on the Haberman and Middlecoff podcast Sirius XM as well. We thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. You got it, Rob. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Guy Haberman. I really appreciate all the time he gave me. That's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. Please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We always appreciate all the time you take to leave reviews. So as I always say, you leave it, we read it. That's the deal here on the Niners Nation Podcast Network for as long as I am running things. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. I'll talk to you next week.